Sharing and Zimmer. Hi there, this is Jens Zöring, and across from me sits Dominic Zimmern, singer, musician, and psychology student here in Northern Germany. He's pretty famous here because a few years ago, he made it to the semifinals of the German equivalent of America's Got Talent, and I'm honored to do a podcast with him. And across from me sits Jens Zöring. He used to play in a band as well when he was 19. He also studied psychology, as I do, but then he got sentenced for a crime and he was in prison for 33 years in the US. And as you said, now we got a podcast together and we've been talking about a lot of things in the last few episodes. And one of these is that you got a Netflix series two weeks ago. And we talked about that a lot in the last episode. Is there anything else you want to share? Because since then, two weeks have gone, and that's a lot of time in the media business, and there's a lot that can happen in that time. So have you been attacked on the streets, or have you been, I don't know, cheered? Well, I, I have not been actually attacked on the streets, um, nor have I been called any names. Um, of course, in the internet, there's been the usual internet hate. Um, The comments that have reached me are, I would say, about two-thirds positive and one-third negative. And amid, under, you know, among the one-third negative comments, um, there is a minority that is downright nasty. Um, somebody uh, wrote me that uh, he hoped that Uh, I would get my throat slit at the dinner table, <laughs> which wow. I thought was kind of, yeah, that was kind of nice. Um, of course, I'm used to hate um, for the last 37 years. Um, so this is, you know, not that new to me. And in the internet, you know, this it's not that uncommon for people to say really horrible things. But I got to say, in person, I have still not had a single negative experience um, even after the Netflix series um, people have been nice to me and I'm grateful for that and uh, given how disappointing the Netflix series was I was I guess I'm also a little bit surprised that 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 I haven't um, had stronger negative reactions even in person yeah that that's actually pretty cool because I remember The last time we talked, you were pretty sad and you were probably a bit worried about the future and about how you're going to be viewed here in Germany. Um, well, I can tell out of my experience with the show where I really messed up some songs that after some times um, people didn't know it anymore probably or they didn't have it in mind when they think of me. They just probably think about... Um, what they liked about it or they think about, oh, isn't that, I don't know, the psychology student or whatever um, who took place in the in this show. And probably you can in some way um, use this reach you gained now for things that really, really are the things you want to talk about. Yeah, that is true to some extent. Um, you know, uh, I mostly work as a coach nowadays um, helping people with resilience, you know, developing mental strength and so they can overcome hardships and um, also toxic relationships. And I enjoy that work very well. And I've actually, thanks to the Netflix um, series, I suppose, um, had more people come to me, uh, maybe also because of my audio book um, that I just released uh, about the relationship with Elizabeth. It's called Love, Sex, and Murder, mm -hmm. um, appropriately enough. But um, maybe the combination of the audiobook and the Netflix series has uh, sent me really a flood of new um, coaching clients, and that's work I enjoy very much. But um, at the same time, I find myself having to talk about the damn case, you know, and that's how I think of it now. For me, it's it's uh, a failure. It's a failure of my of my plan for my life, and that's kind of the subject of our you know episode today. 
I had fought uh, really hard for a pardon. And then I was not granted a pardon. I was released on parole. Um, and uh, I think there were 1.4 million reasons why I didn't get parole, why I didn't get a pardon. Uh, I would have been entitled to 1.4 million compensation, for 1.4 million dollars compensation, if uh, I had been granted a pardon, and that would have been very politically difficult for the governor. But I came out of prison, and I did not come out of prison with a pardon. So I've I'm, I've felt that was a terrible injustice, and I wanted that injustice to be corrected. So. I, and I gave my life story my, and trusted my story to um, people in Cologne who made me a bunch of promises they didn't keep, obviously. And uh, I believed they would tell the truth. And my hope was that at the end of this process, I could completely stop talking about the case. What I wanted more than anything else was to be able to reach a point in my life where I could just say, you know what? You want to know about the case? Go watch the Netflix series. I'm done talking about it. That was the plan. And that's what I wanted out of all this. And, um, you know, to kind of put a finishing line to that part of my mm -hmm. life, which I, I don't like. And then two things happened. The first thing was that these people in Cologne were not particularly good filmmakers, because um, they, they, you know, this this series was originally supposed to be uh, released uh, in the spring of 2022, and now we're in the fall of 2023. So it came out a year and a half late. Um, and during this whole time, the last one and a half years, when I really didn't want to be talking about the case, I still had to talk about the case because the Netflix series still wasn't done. And then they finally, finally released it. And, um, and in my view, my opinion, they did not tell my story truthfully. They left out a bunch of stuff and they, then they, um, uh, misrepresented some things at the end. And basically, you know, this whole idea that Elizabeth and I did it together is just plain wrong. It's just not accurate. It's factually incorrect. Yeah. And there's trial testimony saying that and but i'm now in a position where i have to talk about this again and i have to come out in public and give interviews and make youtube videos and podcasts and all this other stuff to correct the wrong impression created by the netflix series whereas what i really wanted from my life was to stop talking about it and just do my coaching and i've got a podcast called sympathy with the devil where i talk about you know, it's a true crime podcast about other prisoners, the guys I was served time with. And those are the projects I want to be doing. Mm. But, and I'm able to do them to some extent, right? Um, and I'm doing my coaching and I'm doing this other podcast and I'm doing this podcast with you. But I'm, a large part of my time is still devoted to the stupid damn case that I'm so tired of and on that sense, you know, this has been a failure of mine. I've, it's been it, it just an actual failure in my life. And um, it's not the first failure, but um, it's, this is one that really hurts. And, um, and yeah, I've, I've, I failed. And now I have to live with consequences of that failure. And that's one of the subjects of this podcast today because I'm not the only person who failed. Um, everybody's experienced failures. And exactly. you did as well. Um, Probably. You were on the, um, like I said, the, the, the German equivalent of America's Got Talent. And you got very, very far. But you only got to the semifinals. You didn't quite make the finals. And yes. I, I imagine that must have been difficult for you and that you experienced that as a failure. Or, or did you experience that as a failure? Maybe not. Well, it depends. Well, first of all, I think I'm one of the very few people who can say that they got thrown out of the same casting show twice <laughs> <laughs> because I was thrown out after my last performance um, in, in Italy where we went um, as a part of the show. And then when it came to the live shows where um, you are in Cologne and in, in a very big studio and there are a lot of 
people um, watching in front of you and on the television. Um, yeah, I, w I was thrown out before of that. I think you told me it was 1,400 people in the studio exactly. and 2 million at home uh, watching it on TV. Yeah. So a huge audience. Yeah, well, I mean, back in the days when um, probably also in America and the US, probably there's even larger numbers, I can only imagine. But it was very overwhelming for me back then. And it would still be today. So yeah, well, I, I got thrown out twice. Um, they got me back in because another contestant, um, I think he was sentenced um, because of uh, some kind of crime. But yeah, so they asked me to um, get back. And then I got thrown out again in the semifinals. Um, but to be honest, I didn't expect to get that far in the first place. So when I took part in the show, it wasn't my um, it was my expectation to be the winner, and it wasn't even my goal. Because when you win a show like this, you are very um, tied to the contracts, and you are not very free in your art and in your in, in what you want to do in your singing. So you have to do um, whatever the management and and Universal or whoever um, is your label um, wants you to do. So it wasn't my goal to do so, um, to, to, to get this far and to win the show. And that's why I was very um, overwhelmed when I started to get further and further in the show. Because, uh, yeah, I only wanted to get a free vacation. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I think one part of failure is always what you expect in the first place. Because um, if, if you don't expect much and if you just say well i just want to go to italy with uh, a lot of singers and sing and eat very very good food because they had very great food then i can't lose a lot and i think yes. this is a big part of um of, of of the feelings you have after failure what did you expect in the first place and did you enjoy um the trip or did you just go for the goal and then when you don't make it it was just a failure, yeah. Yeah. So um, I actually watched your performances uh, all the way through, and um, you know, I'm—I I'm, I admit I'm a fan of Dominic's. Uh, he's really talented. If you haven't seen him in America, you ought to check him out. He's got his videos on YouTube, um, and uh, your early performances, especially in this uh, uh, kind of arena, Roman arena type situation in Italy uh, were really strong, very, very strong. And then I thought it was your last performance, but it turned out it was actually your next to last performance. Exactly. Uh, you performed um, a song that meant a lot to you because it was by Linkin Park. Um, and uh, to me, watching it, having seen these really strong performances of years before that, I, I, I you know, I felt watching you that uh, this was not your best performance. No, it wasn't and, for sure. And and so, of course, you know, the, you you got kicked out after that, but then you were brought back because some another contestant had to leave the show for whatever reason. Um, but um, you know, I know that for you personally, uh, you know, you love Chester Bannington, and you, 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 I think you saw what was last concert in Germany. You actually yeah. intended that. And then not to be able to perform his song up to your expectations as an artist, as a singer, not living up to that. Um, yeah, I, I, that must be, it's not failure in a regular sense, but it's a kind of artistic disappointment maybe. Yeah. Uh, you had this opportunity to really, yeah. So talk about that. How did that feel? Well, as you said, it was... A disappointment not because um, I tried to be like Chester Bennington but because I thought I could do better and I mean he, Linkin Park and his music may do mean a lot to me because they um, supported me in times when when some things are going on in my life and therefore I wanted to be yeah at, at least something that I can be proud of and to be honest it's nothing I can look back now and say this is a great performance I mean, anyways, this goes to show that um, Chester Bennington was a damn good singer, um, <laughs> and probably nobody will match it. 
It also um, was interesting to me when you watch um, Chester perform, especially um, when it's difficult songs where you have to sing very high notes, very long. Um, he's not moving that much. And I had to move a lot in the show. Um, it was the choreography. And um, it's very hard to um, keep your breath and to keep um, enough energy for these long tones and yeah I I, I, I failed and um, what really was upsetting was that I wasn't thrown out because um, the in, in, in these stages of the show um, the um, people at home they decide by calling for the contestant they want in the next show who's going to be in the next show and so I wasn't kicked out because enough people had voted for me but I knew that I really messed up and I didn't do a good performance and people on the internet, they thought so as well. So um, what's actually funny is you don't really know how you sang until you see it on the way back to the hotel because you um, you are so in the zone and you have your in-ear monitors which have a very different sound than what you hear in the, in the end product. And therefore I was sitting in this kind of taxi and the shuttle back to the hotel and I was uh, watching it on YouTube because they uh, immediately uploaded it. Yeah, and I was just, oh God, oh no, it's it's not good. And it was seen by two million people and I can't be um, proud of that. And then a lot of very bad comments um, started to get written and people said that I was, I don't know, dumping on Chester's grave or whatever. Yeah. So very um, harsh things to say and especially to read if you wanted to do uh, something very else. To be honest, I think having had this experience, it helped me with other times when I had failure in my life because what I really started to understand then is that I will never be able to make everybody happy and that I don't have to care about what people think. And I think it's something that people say all the time but it's to to understand it is very different because you probably have to live through it to really um, implement it in your life. And once I read these comment sections with people just ranting, and there were I don't know three, five, four hundred um, comments about my performance and how bad it was, and um, I just stopped reading it. And it, I was just like, okay, you know what? They will never they 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 won't like it, and they probably don't like me, but. You know what? I don't. I don't care at this time, and so therefore, yeah, I just stopped reading comments about me at that day, and I don't do until now. And I think this really? gives me a lot of freedom. Yeah, I think so. Don't do. Do you read every comment about you? No, God, no. Um, <laughs> I'm not a clever person, but I'm I'm clever enough not to read uh, <laughs> the comment sections. Um, um, in, in the social media, uh, good Lord, um, that's a fool's errand. <laughs> yeah. Um, at, at, I know that, yeah, cause you know, we, we've over the last few months become friends. I know that, um, uh, stoicism yes. has meant a lot to you, stoic philosophy. Exactly. And, um, were you already interested in stoicism at this stage or did that come later? No, it was probably exactly at that stage. And the funny thing is you mentioned this um, this Colosseum I was singing in, which is right. uh, which is a, a, an old building from the Romans. Well, it's not the Colosseum in, in Rome. It's not the big one, but it was it was also very um, authentic. And it was back from the days. It, usually, it, it used to be a, a museum, and only for the show they made it like a, a stage. So, um, and, and it was from, from the Romans, and... Stoicism is something that also comes from the Romans and the Greeks. And um, I got thrown out that day um, after this performance, um, which I thought was pretty good. And the Stoics. They have a lot of um, probably pictures you can think of in situations where you don't have the control over the outcome anymore. So, for example, there's um, there's this um, picture of, of, a, of an archer who has a bow and an arrow, and um, as soon as the arrow leaves the bow, you can't do anything about it anymore. You can, before it leaves it, you can um, try to adjust, and you can hold your breath, and concentrate, and train for many years, but the moment 
the arrow leaves the bow, it's up to the universe because there can be like wind, there can be a bird, there can be whatever, an earthquake. Uh, so you don't hit the goal anymore. But everything you can control is just before that time point when the arrow leaves the bow. So I was like, I, I trained a lot. I did the performance a lot of times. Um, I did, I really did my best. Um, and the jury didn't think it was enough. Okay, but I'm fine with it because I did everything that was in... Your ability to do. Yeah, your ability to do. Exactly. And um, that was was a thought that really, um, yeah, gave me strength in a lot of situations where the outcome wasn't what I expected, um, but where I focused on on the way and and probably not the goal or or the outcome. Um, it's it's interesting to me that you developed an interest in stoicism um, at you know what I would consider a relatively young age and in a society which you know does not share many values of the stoics um um i, I spent a lot of time reading uh stoic philosophers um in prison and um they meant meant, meant a lot to me uh, and and helped me a lot deal to de in dealing with my situation uh, for all those decades I was gone. Um, but uh, to me, there were also some things that I felt were were lacking in, in, in the Stoic view of life. And, um, you know, one of those things is, is that there's a certain distancing from your own emotions that's implicit and sometimes also explicit in Stoic philosophy. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that, you know, say, seeing emotions objectively and um, not being swayed by them too much. But, you know, one of the things that I found really valuable in my journey was actually allowing myself to feel my emotions and experience them and recognize them, recognize their worth. They're there for a reason, and they're what make me human. And part of the reason I thought that was so important was because in prison, of course, you deny your emotions. You have to, because any sign of emotions or feelings is exploited by other prisoners. And I didn't want to be like that. I did not want to be like that. So I always allowed myself to feel these emotions. And nowadays, in my day job, I'm a coach, like I said, and that's something I do with my clients, right? Um, I give them a space where they can um, let them feel the pain and the regret, regret and shame sometimes and the hurt that comes from failure, you know? Um, every setback in life, every crisis, um, leads to painful emotions and very often people who work with resilience are quick to um, talk about you know accepting your situation and moving onwards and you know building yourself back up and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and that's that is part of the process obviously but before any of these things can happen i always feel um you have to feel your pain and give it space and recognize it and grieve. That's what it basically comes down to, grieving. Um, in the traditional seven pillars of resilience, the first one is acceptance, accepting your situation. But that is actually the last step in the grieving process. In the grieving process, you've got shock, denial, anger, negotiation, depression, acceptance. And then acceptance is the last one, right? Um, and that's then the first step of the resilience process, right? That, that, that to me, that was always missing a little bit in Stoicism, this idea that emotions do matter and you have to give emotions space. Yeah, this is also something I experienced uh, through my studies. I'm studying psychology, as you said, and um, you really 
have to feel sometime. I mean, everybody uh, probably makes fun about psychologists just saying, and how does that make you feel? Um, but I think it's it's a question that you don't ask yourself uh, a lot because most of the times um, you just act. So probably, I don't know, somebody gets hurt and you just act or you... Um, Who do you call? What do you do? Right. Yeah, or, mm -hmm. or your partner's leaving you and immediately you act and, I don't know, scream at him or pack your things and go or whatever. And I think sometimes we really need a little break where we can just, yeah, feel and, and understand how that makes us feel. Because sometimes it's very disturbing um, what kind of emotions we, we feel in some situations that we don't expect. So sometimes there can be like relief when somebody dies. Or there can be um, relief when somebody leaves you, even though you can also be sad and you can also be very, um, it can be also very painful. But um, sometimes emotions, they overlay each other and you probably have to yeah, get them right and understand them and feel them so you can move on, as you said, with the next steps. Right. I, th I think that's really interesting what you just said, that um, we, we, the emotions can come up that seem to us in that situation as not being the quote-unquote right ones, right? Um, and one of the things is, is exactly like you said, that, that in certain situations when somebody dies, some part of your feelings may be relief, but you know that everybody is expecting you to, 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 to only be sad, and this very genuine feeling that you have has to be pushed away. And... You know, my experience in my life is that when emotions are pushed away, they eventually come back anyway, and maybe not in a very helpful way. And, um, you know, usually not in a very helpful way. So the best thing to do is to admit those emotions right up front and work with them. And um, it's, it's, to me, one of the things that I really cherish about my work as a coach. Uh, it's one of the things, especially early on in the process, is that I give my clients, uh, my coaches, space to be open and to voice feelings that maybe in other situations they could not voice because of social pressures. And they feel safe doing that with me, maybe in part because of everything that I've been through, right? And so they get the sense correctly um, that I will not judge them and that I've seen much worse things. And so it's okay to tell me things and to say things to me that they would not maybe ever say to other people um, having to do with their emotions. And um, I'm, I'm getting, you know, receiving that trust from the people I coach is a great privilege and I value it very much. And course you know i have to earn a living so i have to actually charge for my coaching <laughs> but um but i i get a lot from that i i receive a lot from the people who come to me and um and in a way it gives your suffering a reason or like a meaning yeah, a meaning because i mean you've you've been through so much suffering and you've had so many points in your life where you had to face extreme failure And it's it's not for nothing. It's not a black hole. It's um... yeah. Well, it's you know. F f I think for most people, at first glance, my life would look that way, um, or might look that way, as if it's just a pure catastrophe, with this horrible black hole of thirty three years in the middle there, which seems like a complete failure, and um, uh, just a pure loss that there's nothing positive to it, just pure negative. And, you know, I, it, if I were to leave it like that, maybe it would become that, right? But because I use my experiences and I use these horrible 33 years as kind of raw material for my work as a coach with resilience and toxic relationships, um, you know, those experiences become valuable to my clients. And if they become valuable to my clients, if they can get something from that that helps them, then that in turn makes 
that past, that horrible past, valuable to me because it gives me the, it's from that horrible past that I can develop the tools to help my clients. And so it's, it's no longer a pure negative. It, 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 it becomes a kind of, I don't know, <laughs> almost like a little treasure hoard that I can mm-hmm. pull things out of um, if they help other people. And, and that's a privilege, but it's also kind of a spiritual judo, you know, using the negative energy and trying to turn it into something positive. Um, that's, that's what I try to do with my life. And that's what I try to do with my coaching. And it, basically, it's what I try to teach people to do through my resilience training. Because, you know, one of the key concepts in life is that your biggest minus is also your biggest plus, Right. Um, you know, yeah, in, in, in a weird sort of way, um, you know, whatever you perceive to be as your worst quality could, in fact, be the basis for your greatest success, your best quality. It's sometimes it's a matter of a little twist and a change of perspective, uh, but it's a good place to start is to look at, you know, with me, my, my work as a coach is to look what do they perceive as the worst thing about them? And is there a way to see that maybe completely differently? And that's always wonderful work as a coach. I, I love doing that. And um, it, it's exciting. And it's it's really good feeling when I see that uh, their lives get better and that I played some role in that. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I think it's always just the perspective. So for example, um, when COVID started um, and everything was shut down in Germany. Um, at first, I was a little bit depressed because I had this band and we tried to um, get famous or whatever. And we couldn't meet for a few months because of the lockdowns. But then finally, for the first and probably last time in my life, I had so much time to do stuff. And I had so much time to for example, teach myself how to record music and I made my own songs on my couch. And um, so, so it was, on one hand, I lost the possibility to make music with my friends and to intensify um, this part of the journey. But I also had the chance to do things I probably wouldn't have done in in any other scenario. I don't know, do you know the German uh, YouTuber... And I, I, um, I, I, I want to point out that you know people who don't know uh, Dominic's story, his couch is actually a, a pretty big part of his story because on that couch where he made that first uh, home recorded uh, uh, song collection, I don't know what they call them. Do you call them an LP yeah. nowadays? Uh, I, um, I would call it an EP. The EP, right? Uh, that actually then brought you to the attention of the first exactly. casting show you went to, Battle of the Bands. Which and then led to the second one. Second and, one. Which and, now leads to mm. me being able to um, make at least a small living out of my music, and um, right. which which opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, so, yeah, that's actually a very important couch for me. Um, yeah. yeah. And you wouldn't have been on that couch but for COVID. Um, exactly. You know, so, it's, yeah. And back in the days, I read a lot of books about this topic, about... Um, thinking of crisis crisis or of failure or whatever not just as something bad that happens but also as a possibility for you to be i don't know in, in a place you wouldn't have imagined yourself so for example there's a german youtuber who does a lot of interviews and what's probably special about him is that he sits in a real chair so um first when you see him, you probably first of all notice him because they are the most people who interview other people don't sit in a wheelchair. But then, and I think what's really special about that is that he is able to um, interview people out of every kind of society and probably people who have a lot of insecurities or whatever from another perspective because he has also some kind of weakness, at least um, at first glance. So out of this weakness and out of this, um, yeah, disability, he can then um, t- probably talk about hard things better with people. And this makes him probably a better interviewer in a way. Well, all I can say is that I appeared on his show. Oh. And while, while I 
personally liked him. Um, his team, the people around him, turned out to be a bit of a disappointment. Um, during the interview that I did with him, I said that um, Elizabeth Hasem actually confessed to this crime. And when they showed this on YouTube, my interview with him, they actually, his team, I'm sure he didn't do this himself, his team put underneath when I said that, that this statement by Jens Zering could not be verified, right? All they had to do was ask me, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I have the transcript pages and I have the actual audio recording when she says it. It's actually now, I've put it on my website. Anybody who wants to hear Elizabeth confess to the crime, it's on my website. And his team only had to ask me and I would have sent it to them, right? But um, it's not in the Netflix series either. So one thing that this YouTuber and Netflix have in common is that, you know, for they some reason, you. they didn't ask me or they couldn't be bothered to include it. Netflix had the audio statement. Um, yeah, so it's the media industry, of course. Um, and um, yeah, but your wow. point, the point, but, but, now, but now I'm back in the situation where I'm talking about the damn case, which is my failure right now. You know, the, the sense of failure that I have that I'm stuck talking about this horrible case, which I don't want to be talking about. Uh, you, your point is, is that uh, this YouTuber uses his wheelchair appropriately and yeah. c with class, with class. He does it with class um, as a way to reach people and open doors with them to where they perhaps feel that they can be vulnerable and tell him things that they might not tell another interviewer. And, exactly. And that's really a great way to work with his... Um, well, it, it really, in, he's managed to do this spiritual judo, where it's no longer really, in some sense, a disability, but it has also positive aspects to it. Although I always think it's important to realize, you know, it is still, on some level, something sad that he has lost from his life. And even though he's able to find something positive in it, this goes back to recognizing the pain and the suffering and the and the and the hurt, right? You know, I um, am connecting with something that you know. I had this phase in the two thousands in prison where I wrote a lot of books. I I wrote I published six books in prison, right? And uh, I believe it was four of those books I published in the two thousand two thousands, and people were writing me letters back then this you know you couldn't email into prison they were saying you're more spiritually free in prison than i am out here right mm. but when you're the guy sitting in prison right it's not it it's not that much of a comfort right you you're welcome to have my spiritual prison if you'll trade places with me right <laughs> yeah I, I also think um sometimes when you speak about um other people's um failures or, or disabilities or whatever uh, you you still um need to acknowledge their pain with the situation that's yes true. exactly and i think sometimes and maybe sometimes when um probably when i talk to you i sometimes forget that um it's not just interesting that you spend 33 years in prison and there's so much that's different from my life it's also very painful and it's something that um took away a lot of things in your life and a lot of possibilities and a lot of probably desires you had and um i think yeah you, you should always keep in mind that even though it can be as we also said uh can can be an advantage in some places and you can and you probably have to change perspective to make the best out of it and probably even um, make some kind of profit out of it there's still a lot of um, hurt and pain going on when you have disabilities, failures, or whatever. Yeah, I'm as you're saying that. I'm thinking of um, age is now becoming an issue. I'm 57 years old, and 
you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the seven pillars of resilience is, of course, that you're future-oriented, right? But um, I can't help but think back on some of my other failures um, in 2010, you know, uh, at that time, the Democratic governor of Virginia, Timothy Kane, actually approved my transfer to Germany. And soon after that, I would have been released. Um, the official language was two years, but I would have been probably released within six months. Um, and he was a Democrat, and he did this four days before the end of his term on January 12th, 2000. And four days later, you know, uh, he turned over his office to the, uh, to this Republican successor. The inauguration was on Saturday, uh, January 16th. And then uh, Monday was Martin Luther King Day. And this first working day in office was the 19th, right? The new governor, the Republican. And his first act in office was to reverse this decision of his Democratic predecessor. Um, and, you know, for one week from June, from January 12th, 19th, from January 12th, uh, 2000 to January 19th, 2000, um, I was actually a free man. And then that was taken away from me <laughs> um, after one week and um, completely illegally, by the way. I mean, any lawyer will tell you that what the governor did there is not legally possible. It's not allowed. But he was the governor, and I was a horrible prisoner. So he got away with it. And, um, and I spent another 10 years in prison before I was finally released. And, you know, thinking that I could have been released 10 years earlier, you know. Um, would change a lot. Yeah, it would have, you know, of course. Then I, I would have lost, at that stage, 24 years of my life instead of 33 and a half years of my life, right? So I, I lost another decade because this governor, Bob McDonald, felt the need to uh, stick it to his Democratic predecessor. And of course, you know, I didn't matter in this at all. It wasn't about me. It was about him positioning himself as being different from the Democrat who preceded him. You know, the, the horrible Democrat released Jens Zuring, and I, the good Republican, will keep him in prison. And, you know, that cost, you know, me another decade of my life yeah. for nothing, for nothing. And... um that was a that was a really bad failure. That experienced it as a failure. It led to the loss of my faith. Until at that point, I had been very active and uh, devout Catholic, and I, you know, I, I lost my faith and um, and I lost another decade in prison. So, you know, how different would my life be today if if I hadn't if that had not happened? <laughs> did you did you react to that? Um failure in a way um differently than to the to the first big one so to when you were sentenced i think i i think i reacted to this this failure much better right there were 20 years in between right when i was wrongfully convicted on, on i was wrongfully convicted on january 21st 1990 uh the the jury passed a verdict which was incorrect i, I they found me guilty and i did not do it And that night, I tried to commit suicide. Not very, not very well. <laughs> I didn't succeed, obviously. Um, um, but I did try. And then I made this decision, well, obviously, I'm not going to get out of it like this. You know, I'm too much of a chicken to kill myself. So I'm going to have to fight, you know. Um, <laughs> and this is, you know, this is, you, you were talking about the Stoics earlier on, right? Yeah. One of the key concepts of Stoicism is that You always have the final freedom to take your own life and end your suffering, right? And um, that sounds good, except that I was a coward. <laughs> and I couldn't, I, I, I didn't, I was not successful in taking my own life, okay? And then 20 years later, 
you know, I, I was temporarily granted a release and it was taken away again. And I did not do anything like that, right, at all. I actually just went on and uh, changed my strategy. And um, yeah, I, I actually, I felt like I got energy from that and that it showed me a new way to go forward and keep fighting. And um, that way took another 10 years, it did, but it was in the end successful, right? So you said you were the first person to get kicked out of the same casting show <laughs> twice. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the only guy who ever managed to win his freedom from two life sentences twice um, <laughs> um and the first and the second time i actually did get out the first time they took it back again but yeah um yeah i actually yeah i don't know whether that's worth being proud of i don't know i i um well i i think what what you can really be proud of is that you always kept fighting i mean it's something you say probably um wasn't a choice But still, you could have taken the easy way out, as you said, and um, you maybe have tried. But it's also it's it's also very very impressive that you managed to survive these thirty three years, and that now you can, um, yeah, probably um, give something out of it to other people. So you you can probably um, you you've learned things, you've experienced things, and you can just. Like um, people with physical disabilities, you have like this big black hole in your biography. And uh, maybe some people, they find um, a little bit of uh, hope in your story and you can now I'd, I'd, use it. Yeah, I think that happens. And, um, and I'm glad I can do this, right? Um, and, and, but, but it's kind of like that YouTuber that you were mentioning earlier in the wheelchair, right? Um, yeah. it's, I'm grateful that I can do this, but, um, naturally, right. If I'd had my choice looking back, I would have much rather be a really, really, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to insult tax attorneys, but the thing that comes to mind is that I would really much prefer to be a very boring tax attorney, right? Somebody who designs loopholes for multinational corporations so, uh, they can screw the taxpayer. I would have probably been one of those guys, somebody you really hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe. man. I mean, you still got some time left. So if, if you want to, you can uh, still start a second career. <laughs> I am, uh, yeah, I don't know that tax lawyers, maybe not my thing, but um, I'm actually considering right now, um, it's one of the things I'm considering doing, whether I might actually study law um, in Germany. Well, I I think you have a lot of experience in that field, and and you also have a lot of knowledge. Yeah, it's um, you know th this goes back to our um, you know first episode of New Beginnings. I have made decisions on this, and you know contrary to belief, you know popular belief in the United States, it does actually cost money to go to college in Germany. Um, it's it's not it's it's not that simple, and of course I'm fifty seven years old and. Um, you know, I um, have not paid into my retirement account because I've been away. And uh, here in connection with the Netflix series, I actually started a GoFundMe page because people asked me where they can um, donate money. Um, and so I set that up. And, um, you know, it's, it <laughs> response has not been overwhelming. <laughs> But I am grateful to the... Well, I think, you know, my thought was that in connection with the Netflix series, uh, there might be some interest, but um, there hasn't really been that much interest. And those people who have donated, of course, I'm very grateful to them. I'm very grateful to them. Um, but it, it uh, yeah, I would have, I don't know. I'd, I don't think this is, you know, the kind of failure we're talking about here. I created a possibility. I opened a door for people if they wanted to take that door. And I guess this is not a particular door that they wanted to take. And that's okay as well. Um, 
you know, I'm if there's one thing I am, it is resilient. Yes. And uh-huh. um and I will uh, definitely uh not give up. And um you know, I'm I'm crazy enough to um a couple of months ago I submitted a new pardon petition. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, maybe it'll uh, Well, you know, who knows, you know, it's 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 a different governor now and uh you know, maybe I'll look out and I get I'll get um you know, an ethical governor. Um it's it's at least theoretically possible. Um but that's you know, that's one of the things that you have to do, of course. Um you have to show up. You know, one of my favorite sayings, I can't remember who said it, but you know, it's not 90% I, I, of I life think, is yeah, just showing just up. Just showing up. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that in an earlier yeah, you, podcast. I think right? you you told it to me also two or three times as an advice. And I and I yeah. really like it. And I also think it's it's true. It's um it's just uh about being consistent. It's just showing up, it's just trying no matter what's the outcome. So they were coming back to the Stoics. Jens, thanks a lot for this episode. Thanks for sharing it your was, time with me. And thanks for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm grateful to you for being able to talk to you about failure today at a time when, um, you know, things are difficult for me. And, yeah, uh, and, and I can imagine. And, um, I feel, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay, but it's, it's a painful time for me. And, and having somebody who I, you know, consider now, you know, a new friend here in Germany, um, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. And I'm, I'm grateful to you for that, um, for giving me this chance. Yes. And I'm also grateful for that. Yeah. So. We'll uh, see each other again for the next podcast um, episode. Um, I think we're switching to doing this every other week now because you're back in your studies, right? Yeah, and exactly. Um, to... Yeah, it's it's just uh, a lot of uh, workload. So, um, and I also do the cutting of these episodes. So, therefore, it's it's probably a lot of time. But I think. If you guys want to hear more about us or about this podcast, you can already hear four other episodes. And if you've listened through all of them, you can uh, probably listen to other stuff from us, probably on our YouTube channels, probably on Spotify or with our um, or with Jens' um, books, audiobooks. So you probably won't get bored. Yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff out there, and. Um... Uh, Dominic, of course, has to finish his education. And um, we'll see you guys soon, or we'll we'll hear from each other soon. And we thank you very much for coming this time. And um, till next time, it's Zurin and Zimmern <laughs> from Northern Germany, where it's really rainy tonight. Yeah. All righty then. Bye.